Welcome to the latest edition of the Career Conversations podcast, brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group and proudly sponsored by Biz Synergy. Today we have an excellent conversation with Melinda Smith. If you're from the Hunter region, you may recognise this voice as she spent 10 years in your lounge room bringing you the news via NBN. It's a great journey of a storyteller. We hear about her pathway to becoming a journalist as she transitions into becoming an entrepreneur, a board member and the manager of her own communications and PR business. It's a really interesting tale and I loved getting into the weeds with her around just the diversity of of what she's been able to achieve. I truly loved her depiction of being a newsreader and it really made me appreciate the depth of the role that probably most people don't understand. So without any further ado, here's a great career conversation with Melinda Smith. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. People-centric recruiters, HRG looks to use technology and personal interviewing techniques to ensure the best fit possible for both the candidate and the employer. We operate labour hire and temp services for various sites, conduct permanent recruitment searches and have an innovative program we call temp to perm You can find us on the web www.hrgroup.com.au or search for us on your favourite social site, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Whether you're an employer looking for a fantastic new team member or you're an individual seeking their next great career move, start a conversation with Hunter Recruitment Group today. At Biz Synergy, we are more than just bookkeepers. We are your outsourced accounts team who do bookkeeping, payroll, accounts payable, accounts receivable, management reporting, end of financial year prep, STP, IAS, BAS, add-on integration and more. Ooh, sounds like a fun list, doesn't it? Why not let us take it off your hands? But we are even more than that. We are your experience, knowledge, base and a need to listen. Gain access to a mix of bookkeeping and accounting skills without the need to worry about space, training, key person reliance, supervision and unexpected leave. We give you time back and help you know where you're going and how you'll get there. Let us be your human and caring support crew. Biz Synergy, creating synergy in your business. You can find us on Google or Facebook. So welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, Melinda Smith. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, so people listening may hear that voice and remember your time at NBN as a presenter, but you've got a much more diverse background there and I can't wait to get into that today. So um, I want to start at the start. So journalist, mm. when did that become your passion? When did you see that and, and how, did it, how did it begin? All right. Well, if we go way back, so I'm a Tamworth girl. I yep. was born and bred there. And it probably wasn't until year 12, actually, that I decided on a career in journalism because I was interested in uh, drama and theatre and I was looking at teaching there for a little while um, and the behaviour of students in high school classes turned me off that. So, <laughs> um, so I, I was looking at a number of things and very interested in art as well. And um, I was fortunate that my father actually worked at the then NEN 9 and 8 in Tamworth, which is now Prime Television. And uh, I had an opportunity to go out and do some work experience. So that was for two weeks in Year 12. 
And I started in the art department. And that is when we go back pre-digital technology where graphic artists were employed to physically paint, draw the artwork that would appear behind ads on television. So, um, you know, when I I think about that, that, that's a long time ago now. So... um, So we might get into that. So it's changed, the industry. It's very, yes, changed. Changed a lot. So I I love this, this bit. So your dad. So do you think your dad's influence over you got you into there or was it just his network of hey, there's an opportunity here, do you want to come and help out? Um, I remember growing up and going out to the television studios and in the days of telethons. So in the 70s, um, you know, when I was an early teenager and um, moving into the 80s, that that was so exciting. And and I remember remember those days and walking down the hall and... um, it sort of had this smell in the hallway, I remember, and uh, just coming out of the room where they, they had all of the um, the computers and the machinery that ran the television station. And so I, I, was, all, I was interested in television, but as I said, very much then it was going to be, you know, I pursue this sort of arts career in some, in some way. And I got into the uh, department there and I was there for a couple of days and it wasn't very exciting and somebody said, do you want to go into the newsroom? Do you want to go and spend a day in the newsroom? And I thought, oh, well, that's, you know, I'm open to opportunities. So I went down, yeah. And I think that was midweek. I remember it was on a Wednesday and I got to go out on a story with Mark Ferguson, who now heads up. He's a Tamworth boy and he yep. reads for seven yeah. in Sydney and he worked for nine previously. And we went out and it was to a, a farmer's property. And I don't really remember the minute details of the story, but it was about a cat. There was something to do with cattle but what I do remember clearly was the, the journey of a storyteller. Mm. We got in that car, we went out, there was, there was nothing there and then we came back and this story Had was evolved. created yeah. and it went to air. And that was a pivotal moment because at school I was also pursuing three-unit English, three-unit history, I was a debater, um, public speaker. So... Then I think the interest was ignited into writing. And I, I didn't mind writing. I, you know, enjoyed essay writing for exams and, yep. um, and putting thoughts together for debating and public speaking and presenting um, ideas and, and different viewpoints. And I think I was naturally nosy, so I ask a lot of questions, but I do it because I'm genuinely interested interested, in people, in situations, and I've got to watch that sometimes because I just... And I don't mind deep diving early on. I've got to measure that a little bit because that makes people uncomfortable sometimes, but I am genuinely interested in the why, and that's a real driver for me. And so when that all came together, I thought... I think I want to be a journalist, yeah. you know. So, so tell I, me about the pathway back yeah. then. So was well, it, was it uh, complete your schooling and go to university to become a journalist? Was that the pathway or was there other pathways? That's one pathway. That yep. is, uh, would be the pathway these days, but yep. back in my time. So mid-80s, finished um, year 12, was 
started writing letters midway through. Um, and the way you did it then was to try and get a cadetship. So it's really an apprenticeship within yep. the industry. So you would have first year, second year, third year, fourth year cadet, then you would move into your grading. So D grade, C grade, B grade, A grade, and then that was how your um, remuneration was okay. worked out. It was the award wages, so you know, very similar to a, a apprenticeship. So I sat down and wrote to every television station in New South Wales except Albury and Broken Hill because they were a little bit too far away. <laughs> um, and of all the places that I had identified, Newcastle was one of those places. I'd been here a couple of times uh, to the area. Um, my dad had actually grown up in Denman uh, and then moved to the Tamworth region to go to boarding school there at yep. Farrah. So, and I'd been, uh, I'd been involved in a youth initiative at high school called Youth Forum. And so when I, when I knew in Newcastle two people, and one of those people happened to be a journalist at MBN, yep. uh, that was just coincidence. So the reason I identified Newcastle was it was just up the New England nice Highway, yep. kind of, you know, bigger than not, Tamworth not offering Sydney. a university, a conservatorium, the employment opportunities, but not the big city, Sydney. Yep. Um, and I was 18 at the time. So I uh, applied to a couple of radio stations down here. So this is handwritten letter yeah, yeah. with the little school passport photo. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> I'm interested in being a journo. Have you got a cadetship? Yep. Are you looking to hire? And, Ironically, um, I tell people now that old school works still. Yeah, Because yeah. everyone forgets to do that now. Yeah, just well... just think I, the internet will take care of it. But well, I guess it's the first start of relationship building, correct. isn't it? And we'll probably talk about that correct. later on because mm. it all comes back to relationships. Mm. So I was lucky enough that um, NBN showed an interest and at the time Murray Finlay was the news director... They were very busy in uh, Port Moresby setting up um, a television station up there, but he was looking at either putting on another senior journalist or starting a young cadet. At the same time, I was also going for a job at the Northern Daily Leader at Tamworth because I did a little bit of um, looking into it and basically I just wanted to get my foot in the door of journalism. I think it would have always been the broadcast journalism as opposed to press, yep. but I knew that I would get a really good grounding in press journalism. Back then you learnt shorthand. That was an absolute uh, essential requirement. And the press journos kind of turn their noses up at the broadcast journos because we record everything, <laughs> so we don't need shorthand. Don't we can go right. back to the edit, yep. yeah, edit booth and replay. Um, and uh, so I was fortunate enough to get that, and that was in the days of aptitude tests and interviews, and we went through the whole process, and I was still wanting to hear from Newcastle, and it was a bit of a lottery. And just as I had gone through the final stages and was offered the cadetship at the newspaper, I had a call from MBN to say, we'd like to offer you a cadetship here. So there's a funny so you story chose with that. that over staying home? I did. Yeah, why? Yes. Well, I think I looked ahead and thought, well, ultimately I want to do broadcast journalism. Yeah, good. And it was just, it was, going, it was a fantastic opportunity and I pay attention to those. But for an 18-year-old, that was a brave choice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was ready. I yep. think I was ready to come down and to sort of start my yep. career and journey. Um, 
It, it takes me back to a story I remember at 18. I mean, you don't know yourself at 18. No. I think you do. But I had to make that phone call to the chief of staff at the Northern Daily Leader. And I remember begging my father <laughs> to make that call. I even pulled out, if you love me, <laughs> you would make that call. And he said to me very wise words, he said, it's because I love you, I'm not going to make that call. And that ended up being the first of many, many difficult conversations I've had to make as a journalist mm. and then in the broader scheme of things. And it's been one thing that I've always encouraged my children to have those, I think we turn them now, crucial conversations because it's so important in communication mm. because often if we're talking about good communication, misperceptions, misunderstandings, because people won't talk yeah, about core issues from the get-go. But the, so. the funny part about that, so I went through a very similar um, experience when I was younger. I, we had, my wife and I had moved to the Central Coast and I uh, wanted to come home and I'd secured a job at home. And then in that four-week notice period, I'd secured my dream job, but it was on the Central Coast. Right. And so we had a weekend of deciding which way to go and we ended up staying. And so making that phone call to that employer was one of the hardest phone calls I've ever made. I, I tell people now, when I look back at that phone call, the gentleman, he, and he probably doesn't even remember me. He probably doesn't yeah. even, like it's, it's not on his radar, but I still remember that phone call and you still remember that phone yes. call because it was so pivotal to you. Mm. That's key to this, that because of that, you have to make that phone call but the reality is for the person on the other side, you know what? They'll go, oh, damn, we were really looking forward to Melinda coming to work for us. Next. Who was the next person exactly. on the list? Yeah. Exactly. So that's the reality yeah. of it. But, mm. um, yeah, you move forward from that. So. And interestingly, just on that too, it's made me aware of my level of empathy mm. or awareness for other people that are on the other end of a conversation having that with me. Yep. So should it be somebody... Um, yeah, 100%. You know, I was a, a, a manager at a non-profit and I remember my, uh, uh, the person in my unit, comms unit, coming to me and talking to me about something and I would try to be really aware from yeah. her position because I had been there. So it's interesting. It's all, it's all good like lessons. But that's experience and passing <laughs> yeah. that back yeah. down. Like we've had... We had a, a great young girl here working for us. We, we, she's my fourth daughter almost. And she loved working here. And I remember her telling me, I'm never going to leave. And I used to say to her, there'll be a day. Yeah. There's going to come a day when there'll be another opportunity or something will happen in your life. And there was. And mm. she had to move on. Um, it's funny that when you're young, you don't think that's going to happen. But it does. So you've got to, yeah, as a manager, it's really important yeah. to understand that. So. And I think having a level of graciousness there because yeah. that's remembered by... Yep. the person on the other end of the phone as well. Yep. I remember when I had to make that yeah, phone 100%. call, possibly not the best response, but, you know, um, yeah, I, agree. I, I understood because the time and effort that yep. went into it and I kind of went, oh, thanks, but no thanks. Yep. So I've, I've just been aware. But it's those pivotal moments mm. uh, will follow you mm. through. And yeah. in terms of your career, um, mm. what I coach individuals when they're going through that sort of, um, same sort of decision. It's about your career. It's about Melinda's career. You've got to make that decision for you. Yeah. And yes, there's this tough 
band-aid that needs to be ripped off in that phone call, but you've got to make what's the right decision for you. And if you look back at that decision, what a great decision that was in yeah. terms of where you've gone to. Absolutely. So, mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's continue. So Yeah, so I came down to decision. Newcastle. Yeah, came down to Newcastle in the January, got... Uh, my parents, uh, they popped me in the um, City Hotel, which is no longer in uh, Derby Street. It's now the taxation office. Okay. It was sort of down the other end of the taxation office. So I was there for two weeks and had to find accommodation, and um, which I did. And then I, I started my journey. So going back, first year cadet, I was so green. Um, I even have a good work colleague who I'm still in touch with tell me about the first day I walked <laughs> into the office. I, I can only imagine now what they were thinking. Country girl, you know, into the big smoke. Yep. But they, during that time as, um, you know, pre-digital, so I, I came in in a time of typewriters, liquid paper. I look back and think how we ever got a bulletin to air. And even, um, you know, the phone, being able to phone back into the office, we would have to ask if we were out on an interview, could we use the business phone? Or know where all the red boxes were around all the public telephones because you'd have to sort of keep in touch. But we did have a two-way system in the news vehicles. And then when the first mobile phones came out they were those big, big bricks, units yeah. yeah so each of the car we thought that was fantastic <laughs> I mean you know that was the first first stage of the revolution um, so I think I uh, rewrote newspaper copy for the first six months went out shadowed journalists um, so when you say rewrote newspaper copy yeah. so that was so there was a story in the paper that then you guys were going to so produce ha- so I, the, I, the lesson there was that's that's how the press would cover it. Yep. So what would we do? Because we've got one minute twenty, yeah. one minute thirty, as opposed to this long. Reading. Yeah. Yep. And that that became a skill in and of itself to learn, and you know, great great training about when you've got to get to the heart of the issue, yep. present all sides of the issue, yep. unbiasedly, yep. ideally. <laughs> I mean, we do have a uh, yeah. code of conduct and yep. ethics, and. Um, you know, that, that became a skill. And when you're pumping out, say, three packages a day plus a voiceover and you've been up to Nelson Bay, yeah. you know, you've left the studio in Newcastle in the morning, you've scooted up to Nelson Bay, can you call into East Maitland on the way home and talk to a disgruntled business owner yep. um, and then come back, have it all filed, edited, so written, subbed, edited and on air. And so you were doing all of those functions as a cadet essentially well you build up to it so very first step how are you going to write a news story what what is the um the format of a news story so ideally in the communications degrees you get a a handle on that you know and you get to practice that um you might get two weeks to put a story together (laughs) (laughs) which was always fun when we had the um work experience or the um you know, you do the work placement, yep. come in, and I think that, you know, their eyes would just be so yeah, yeah. wide open because we'd just be knocking I'm really good over. at this, and then it's, no, no, <laughs> I want it done now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we'll try it. Well, what you're doing one in two weeks, we're yeah. going to be doing three in, you know, a matter of hours. So, yeah, so picked up a lot of skills. I was very lucky. I think I came in, if we talk industry-wise, on the, the last wave of old school. That's how I describe it. So we had journos that were maybe, you know, ex-print. Um, they'd been around for a while. 
Um, when I came on board, Murray Finlay was reading the news, Ray Deneen was yep. next to him, and then I, you know, down further down my career, sat next to Ray for over a decade. But there would have been also, mm. I'm thinking about the market, there would have been more competition locally as well. Back then, there was Prime and... Prime came a little bit later. We had aggregation. So in, in the 80s, we aggregated and um, it was, well, preparing for aggregation. And it was where we were, the regional stations were aligned. So we had Prime aligned to yes. 7 in Sydney, NBN was aligned to TCN, Channel 9, and Southern Cross was aligned to 10. Yep. So yes, there was a time where all of the, the stations were operating locally but aligned. When, when aggregation came along, what it meant was choice. So I think the market in Newcastle before that was ABC, SBS and NBN. Mm. So when aggregation came along, it That's opened the market up. up. Yeah, I just yeah. remember that. I just remember there being a time when you had, like even now you've got NBN's really the only local, local news and then you've got the... For sure. Seven and ten are all coming out of Sydney or wherever. Yeah. And so I remember a day when, yeah, there was local news on yes. all different stations. Yeah. And choose, Aaron so. Carney headed up yeah. um, the Prime Bulletin. Yep. Yeah. And uh, uh, he was doing sport and um, yeah. Brett Lavering. And yep. All those guys. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so a different time. So do you think um, that change that you're talking about opened up opportunities for you in terms of that? revolution that was coming or that aggregation that was coming? Um, I think it just sort of consolidated. For me, I just, you know, wanted to be um, a really good journo. And I, I was very lucky when I talked about, you know, being under the wing of... Uh, uh, some of my greatest lessons came from cameramen that had been at NBN. NBN had um, a really strong history of long-term employees so some yep. so it's a dichotomy there because you, it was a great training ground and Sydney loved NBN yeah, because okay. a lot of the journos that come through NBN will end up with careers yep. in the metro market yep. and they're well trained yep. and they've sort of you know been out there and learned some lessons had some great work experience and then they head off and others stayed locally because of lifestyle yep. family choices didn't want the big city so we what had a. Your, what was your path? Do you yeah. Think that you were going to get taken up and swallowed into uh, the big city, or? Well, <laughs> I met my husband very young, so um, I met him soon after I arrived in Newcastle, and when I was nineteen. So we had that decision: do we, you know, do we separate and move on, and or do we do it together? And yep. we said, well, let's do it together. So he is from Newcastle, and his family was here. So then they became my family, yep. extended family. In three years after I arrived, so I started at MBN in '85, and in '88 um, we were married. But I also thought there was an opportunity that came up in the world of public relations. And I thought, oh, I might try that. So I'd only been there for three years yep. and uh, went out and tried that. That then led to um, I was approached by one of the commercial radio stations to head up a male-female breakfast okay. team on 2NX when yep. it was in Hunter 2NX, Street with Paul that. Turton, yeah, who's yeah. now on drive at ABC. Yep. So I went over to do that. And I'd had only about uh, 12 months in uh, working with this organisation in PR, but that was an early exposure to what I've ended up doing. Yep. Um, then got uh, went into commercial radio, 
that didn't last very long. That only went for about six months. So then I found myself euphemistically uh, in between jobs. <laughs> then I ended up at ABC Radio for two years. So Murray Finlay, who had moved out of television, was the new station manager at 2NZ in New Common Street. Yep. They were looking for somebody to present morning news and to help them in publicity and promotions. Okay. So for me, I thought, so oh, mix, mix this is fantastic. Yeah. And also for me to just a new experience in radio. And that's a completely different um, experience. I loved it. It's immediate. It's it's very much like what we're doing yeah. now. Um, whereas you know the broadcast side, the television side is is edited yeah. and produced, if you like, unless it's a live situation. And I really enjoyed those too. Yeah. Um, I think it's because you get authentic during mm. those those live ones. Absolutely. Um, so radio was a great experience and a great medium to work in, and um, very early starts. But I'd had I'd had that in the commercial, and um, you know people who are up at four a.m. Oh, <laughs> respect. You know when I hear they've done it for years and years and years. Yep. It's just a different lifestyle. So I went and and did that for two years, and then my husband and I decided that we wanted to do the big overseas trip. So in '92 we planned it. There um, in the lead up to it, we rented out our house. We um, saved the money that we could. He worked out a wonderful trip. We uh, bought a slide pickup truck and a um, Ford camper in California. And we went on the road for five and a half months. Awesome. Staying in RV uh, camper sites and, yes. And we we visited, I think, 30... 31 states. Yeah, wow. We ended up in um, Chicago after a quick trip up to Canada and down and we sold the rig and then we Uraled through Europe wow. for six weeks and then we met up with my mum and dad and B and B'd around the UK for nice. about a month, yeah, yep. and came back. So at the end of 92, um, we were both looking for uh, opportunities and I just went into NBN to knock on doors. So we got back in the October. Jim Sullivan was then the news director and said, you're not looking to go on the road again, are you? And I said, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Done my time, yeah. Yeah, and so luckily for me, one of the journos was moving on to Beyond 2000, yep. which is you know moving on into that city market. Yep. And um, so I started back on the road as a journo. And so the second stint at NBN was for 17, 18 years. So all up, I was there for about 25 years. Yeah, wow. Mm. Tell me about that trip and did it influence your career at all, do you think? Um, what it did was it influenced me in that I hadn't really been out of Australia extensively beforehand. Mm. So to be get a completely different perspective on how the world views Australia yeah. and where we sit realistically. Yeah. Um, I your eyes, hey? Well, to, to rock up to places and the Australian currency isn't even on, you know, we don't even rate a mention on the board <laughs> out the front. Yep. That was, to me, that yep. was just a real eye-opener and just that the world of news that we receive and how we receive that. Mm-hmm. in Australia when there's a whole big wide world of happenings mm. and how important it was 
I think the biggest takeaway for me was it broadened my horizons. There's that old saying, and yep. it is absolutely true. And I really encourage young people, if you're in your 20s and that's what you're thinking of doing, and a little bit different in the last 12 months, yeah. and will be a little bit different moving forward, but do it. Yeah. It's the best time to do it and the experience that you will gain and the growth that you will gain from that journey. Um, yeah, I'm jealous. I wish my wife and I had done that when we were in our... 20s, yeah. early 30s. Yeah. We did it later. We did it yeah. for my 40th, but um, yeah, I wish we'd done something like that. It sounds fantastic. Yeah, we actually kept a diary. I wrote in a diary, can you believe? <laughs> Every single day Not for a blog. the. Well, yeah, you know, the pen to old paper. Blog. It'd be a blog now, yeah, exactly. And we've just been looking through it because it's, yeah, you know, great. it's nearly, it's what, um, you know, nearly 30 years. Yeah since we went, which I cannot believe. Uh, we've been back overseas since, but just the what I was taking out of that, you know, in yep. my 20s, and yep. it's, been re- it's been so interesting yeah, that's to, to go back. But, yes, it was such an experience. So glad we did it. We did it on the smell of an oily rag. I mean, you know, we had a yeah. set budget. And, Even better. Um, yeah, and just worked our way through. Met amazing people, lifelong friends that we're still in touch with. Yep. So, yeah, okay. for a whole heap of reasons, it was a great experience. And so then, like you said, you spent a decade or so in front of everyone. So everyone in The Hunter knows you because you were delivering yeah. our news. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, it was a, it was a decade on the six o'clock desk. So yeah. I'd been an on-the-road journo beforehand. Yep. We, we actually launched a late-night news bulletin uh, 18 months before I moved over to 6pm and I was quite happy there. Okay. Uh, we, we had a 10.30 bulletin. Yep. Were you on the road still and then do the 10.30? Yeah. Like a split yep. shift type thing? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, a lo- and the gen- so the different roles that you have, when I, another good comparison, when I started, my recollection is that it was one person for one role predominantly. Right, so you would have a journo would be a journo, a chief of staff would be a chief of staff, a producer would be a producer, yep. um, an editor would be an editor, and you'd have your voice voice um, man that would be there with the yep. uh, a sound recorder. Sorry, that would be there with the cameraman. So over time, particularly on the journalistic side, a journo now can write the news, read the news, organise the news, produce the news. So it's that many feathers in the hat. And that's been a necessity. And Mm. even now with the digital side, they're shooting the news, editing the news. Um, You know, this photojournalism that used to be, oh, that's interesting, is now how Mm. a lot of news is being made, Um, particularly on those digital platforms. So... I think, yeah, I mean, what, what an honour when I eventually moved into the, the reading. So I would have, when I started a family, so I started a family in my 30s mm. and I, they were, it was, I was very fortunate that we were able to work out. I had a couple of days in the newsroom on the road and would then read the news. Yep. Um, and then it got to a stage where as my kids got older... I was missing out on that afternoon coming back. And so when I would rock in at 7.30, quarter to eight of the night, any issue that happened in the playground at 10 o'clock in the morning at morning tea was so over by then. And even though I would have reading time, 
Um, so that was a big choice for me. So okay. that's when I came off the six o'clock Monday to Friday. I went over to weekends and during that Monday to Friday out of the newsroom and I moved around into what we, we used to call affectionately Hollywood, but it was just really the corporate admin of NBN. And okay. um, I worked with the then uh, general manager on corporate projects. So we set up this corporate projects division, which I helped manage. And that was where we had our WeCares telethon. Mm. We supported Together Today, which was an environmental initiative with Newcastle City Council, Good for Kids, Good for Life, which was a health initiative with Hunter New England Health. Plus, we uh, managed a lot of community service announcements for non-profit and charity organisations, which I was helping to facilitate and to get on air. So if there was a little non-profit out there mm. that wanted to spread their message, the station would support that and run an ad. Uh, so and I talk, really tell enjoyed me about, that work. So that, that sounds like it came about due to that work-life balance requirement that you were searching for, but there's a skill set component to that that is really interesting to me. I was going to ask... Correct. Yeah. And that opened my world too, yeah. by default, a little bit of marketing, yep. project management, public relations, stakeholder engagement, yep. relationship management, so and management in general. NBN put a cohort of its employees through TAFE's Frontline Management Certificate for... And funnily enough, that was my first formal cool. qualification. So I was getting to a stage looking back on my career and thinking, hey, I've got great work experience and great knowledge, but I don't have qualifications. Mm. So that just opened me up. And also I remember a conversation with the general manager saying, I, I feel I can do more. I feel like I'm operating on not my full throttle. And I, I love being a journalist, I love getting the news together, but for me, there was more to do. There was yep. more to explore. And it, I really enjoyed my time in corporate projects there because a lot of things came together. Plus, I still had my hand in news, uh, so it worked really well. Yeah, and you could facilitate that balance that you were <clears> looking for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I decided, I looked into the future and could see the change coming yep. and thought, okay, so, so where am I going to be in five years' time, ten years' time? Am I still going to be reading the news? Yeah. Um, what's going to happen to this industry? And you could see it rationalising further and yep. further and job losses in major newspapers as online was becoming more prevalent and people's news habits were changing and mm. had changed and the digital transformation was here. So It's good that you could see that because some people don't and mm. they just get stuck and then they, they're behind the eight ball, they're behind four years, five yeah. years, whatever it is. So that's good that you could foresee that coming. When I started, if there was a three-car pile-up on the New England highway, you waited for the six o'clock news for the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. And that was driving the viewing audience. Yeah. Now you have news at your fingertips 24-7 from countless channels, platforms. Uh, so that's what's changed. So it used to be the news service saying, well, you'll watch the news here Absolutely. and now yeah. at our behest and arrangement, yep. whereas now the user says, actually, I'll watch exactly what I want, yep. when I want to watch, and I'll be the chooser yep. of how that's delivered to me. So I can see that is continuing. Mm. 
and I think it really has put pressure on traditional media and not only in the business term but also from our industry and what journalism is and how journalists are being trained and what the expectations are of journalists. What is journalism? Well, it's almost, it's like the <laughs> barriers to entry thing as well. You know, like I always, one of the industries I've looked at in the past is a photographer. You know, back in, in the day when you got married and I got married, it was finding a photographer, there was only a few because cameras were really expensive yeah. and equipment and time, all that sort of stuff. Whereas now, Everyone's a photographer because the equipment cost is down, but they also have access to platforms like social media to promote their services so they can get access to people. So it's the same with journalism. There's, there was only X amount of jobs and delivering the news was different, whereas now, like you said, so many different yeah. points that barriers to entry to what is defined as a journalist has changed. Mm. So that's why that sort of dynamic changes as well. So, yeah, and yeah. What, whilst there may be opportunities uh, being lost in the traditional sense, uh, you know, I hope we will, we will always have a need for journalists and good journalism, mm. but there is incredible opportunity online now for mm. journalists, young journalists wanting to enter uh, the industry and, and the options now available to them. Mm. And so no longer do you have to go into an office to be able to deliver a news service anywhere around the world for whoever may Mm. want your content. So we've moved out of that too. It's not just you are producing news for one service. In fact, a lot of online journalists now just, they just, you know, they've got the content, they send it out and the news services take them on or have arrangements with them. I I still remember when I was going through a very exclusive arrangement too you wouldn't have uh, and it just seems it seems funny talking about it today because it's just so accepted but you you wouldn't have been working on NBN and been able to go on a commercial radio station or be interviewed by ABC very much guarded the Mm. stable if you like they were identities their property and now that that's a real change that I saw coming in probably the late 90s early into the 2000s where uh, practitioners specialists whatever journalists or were saying actually we'll do it on my terms and if it so it was journo.com you know if I want to work for that organization I will and if I choose to work for that organisation as well. I'm available. So it was really the organisations accepting that that individual could work across a lot of markets. It didn't always happen. We, it's just run of the mill now, yeah, but yeah. It, it wasn't like that. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Before we move on to what you're doing now, I want to ask about the, um, the fame, the celebrity of being the <laughs> newsreader for MBN, because it's a reality. Mm. Did, you, did, did that... Uh, was that an impact on you and your family in Newcastle? Was it, was it a big deal or, or wasn't it a big deal? Uh, I think it's a big deal if the individual makes it a big deal. Okay. Yeah, so I... Look, Newcastle's pretty good. Uh, keep you grounded. <laughs> yeah, okay. If you want to get a big head, um, you know, and I, I had... I never really tried to... Uh, I was mindful that what I was actually doing was a privilege going into people's lounge rooms and being in a position... I I always looked at it, somebody's got to tell you the news. If I can share it with you 
So I, so I would go to the desk with a real attitude of, I'm going, I'm going to talk to you, not at you, and I feel it too, but because my, I'm going to be professional in this, that I will share this with you because I think I, I might be able to do that in a way that I would like it shared with me. If that makes sense. Yeah. So very much my motivation wasn't... Um, and it's, it's a tricky thing because if you emotionally connect to all the stories that come your way, and it's no surprise that burnout mm. is, is an issue for a lot of journos and yep. PTS. And uh, so I liken it to paramedics and frontline emergency crew that have to go to a scene... If they go to pieces, <laughs> nobody no gets, is served yeah. by that. So a little bit like the news, we can be a bit of a yep. um, connector to, look, stay with me, I'll yeah. take you through. But, you know... We'll That's really enlightening. Um, <laughs> it, it is. Like, if you think about, you know, I do this all the time. I look at a... I'll, I'll watch something on TV or I'll see a job and I, I could do that job. But the reality of what you've just described is so different to what I think most people would think a newsreader is. Mm. And I think too, I was very much... I, look, I had a lot of good guidance. Uh, I'll be forever thankful to the mentors that have come across my path and that's been a real big thing mm. uh, with me and why I'm so supportive of the Mentor Support Network um, in uh, Newcastle and The Hunter, which came out of an initiative of an MBN telethon and supports young people today because mentoring, even in high school, I had good mentors in high school. I had, when I was young in my career, I had just people who took the time and effort just to yep. have a conversation, take you under their wing and just say, look, you know, you might want to think about this or here's an interesting perspective. Have you thought of that? Yep. Um, which I have tried to do, you mm. know, in that paying forward. So. So back onto the um, the skills needed. So I think it's it can be a tricky job, but I think I always try to approach it that anything we were looking at, it was you know some somebody was connected in a way. It's some it's somebody's mm. son, daughter, yep. family member connection, whatever the story is, and you know, can be quite interesting at times, some of the worldwide events that happen mm. and rock our world and have incredible impacts. So it was, I, I took it as a privilege. What a, fr what a front yeah. row seat to be able to find out what was happening and to share that with the community. Newcastle and the Hunter has been very good to me. I, 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 this is almost my... I mean, I've been here now twice as long as I was in my <laughs> hometown. And I think I was very fortunate I had a position where I got to know the lay of the land and the people quickly. So within about 12 months, I was sort of feeling, oh, what a great place. I love the ocean coming from the country. I got to see the whole development of that wharf road. That was a bicentennial project in 88. I remember arriving in Newcastle. That was rocks. Yeah. Nobody went to the foreshore. It was dirty. It was ugly. So that, to be able to be part of that. I think also with working with MBN in the days of the telethons, millions of dollars yeah. were raised by the people of Newcastle and the Hunter. It, it, 
amazing. Mm. You know, there's something special about this region. We've funded uh, paediatric wards at the John Hunter Hospital, cancer research, breast cancer, trial clinics and the service that operates near the MARTA today. It's it's been amazing. Um, and, and I think I've always tried to be very um, obliging and accommodating because the region's been very good to me. But also, you know, from a personal perspective, I used to say to my kids, I am a working mother like other working mums of your friends. It's just that everybody gets to see what I do. Yeah, true. So just to keep a bit of a, you know, realistic, grounded approach to that. Yep. Mm. Yeah, very good. All right, we might take a quick break and uh, give a shout out to our sponsor at um, Biz Synergy. At Biz Synergy, we are more than just bookkeepers. We are your outsourced accounts team who do bookkeeping, payroll, accounts payable, accounts receivable, management reporting, end of financial year prep, STP, IAS, SPAS, add-on integration and more. Ooh, sounds like a fun list, doesn't it? Why not let us take it off your hands? But we are even more than that. We are your experience, knowledge, base and a need to listen. Gain access to a mix of bookkeeping and accounting skills without the need to worry about space, training, key person reliance, supervision and unexpected leave. We give you time back and help you know where you're going and how you'll get there. Let us be your human and caring support crew. Biz Synergy, creating synergy in your business. You can find us on Google or Facebook. For me, I've been with the Mutual now for the last five years, so it's been a real learning curve. And again, I came onto a board with highly experienced directors around the table. Um, They were all male at the time. We now have two Mm -hmm. other female directors, Deb being one of those. Yeah, so we have three female and three male directors now, which is is great. And um, yeah, again, I was... It was a learning experience, but I hope I've been able to just bring another perspective to the table as well, and then having the background in um, communications and marketing. Bring Mm. your skill sets. Let's talk about that skill set. So tell me about your business. What do you do? Well, (laughs) when we were talking before about future-proofing, when I left MBN, I left because I thought I had done the frontline management, and I thought, oh, I really need to to have a look at what other uh, qualifications I need. Because if I go to market and they say, oh, what do you do? And I say, well, you know, I can, I can read the... I can put string words together and I, <laughs> I can read the news. And I think, yeah, great, we, we don't actually need that. <laughs> so I, because my interest had been um, raised in these other areas, I business seemed to me a natural progression. So I went to the grad school in, so I left MBN in 2010 and then started a um, Masters of Business and I was there for two and a half years and whilst I was there I took on a role as the communications manager at Hunter Valley Training Company. Yeah, okay. Cool. Yeah, so I was working there a couple of days, that extended and grew to four days, five days, and then I had the opportunity to be on their executive leadership team there and um, and I stayed for five years, then thought, well, my next move would be to set up my own consultancy. And I hadn't really given that a lot of thought until through my university studies, one of our exercises, one of our projects was to look into the future and, and, and what would you do? 
And so I picked consultancy and sort of went through the motions. And I remember halfway through thinking, hang on a minute, <laughs> I oh, could do this. Yeah, wow. I could do this. So again, you know, there, that was an Tell experience. Tell me about that transition from being, so you've been working for decades as an employee. Yes. Um, to now, you're running your own consultancy business. Tell yes. me about that transition. Well, again, I was, um, I had to be a little bit strategic in that. When I look back, I think I, I, I did have a strategy there. I, I look forward. I'm, I'm all about being in the moment, but you need to plan as well. And I think if you can get a balance of both, yep. a balance there. It's, it's difficult um, to do that, yeah. particularly when you're working for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I, when I left uh, HVTC and set up my business, the way that I thought would be a good transition is to work with an existing firm. And I was very fortunate to head over and work at Persa Corporate Communication and the, worked with Meg Persa, yep. who we've sadly just lost and mm. she's... You know, yeah, I, was un, I, I never got to meet Meg, but I've heard mm, such great things about yeah. her. So Meg took me on board and I worked there and whilst I was there, I, ha I started developing my private clients and interestingly it was the same way Meg started because her father Bob who was one of my mentors I <laughs> may add when I spoke about it's being, all about network yeah um, so when Meg went to work with Bob she'd been out had some experience out in the field and she had her own clients and worked under Purser and so I was working with Persa clients and then I was starting to develop my own and then I worked there for about three years and then completely went out on my own and so I have a, a home office yep. and I, I described my uh, And what's the service? What business? do you deliver? Yeah, so it's a bespoke uh, public relations, media, uh, Big advising. customers, small to medium customers, what do you look after? Yeah, can do all. Can do all. Um, yep. I'm gravitating more to the um, the medium to larger, mm -hmm. although I probably sit better in the medium sized ones because my services uh, have worked best when there are organisations that may not have their own comms units set up. Yep. So they've either been outsourcing those skills or they're looking to set it up. And in fact, the two of my bigger clients that I work now, it's been interesting in the last 12 months, I've, I've watched them bring those resources Internal. in. Mm. And it makes sense because I've been on the other end of that yep. too. I've been a manager and had to yep. use external and then and then bring it in. So I, I advise... the evolution of a consultant. You absolutely. Kind of make you, you produce, we have a job to do, you exactly. You do a job, you almost make yourself redundant, move <laughs> on to the next job. Well, luckily, both of them are keeping me on, so I guess there oh, must good. be some some value there. Um, but it's it's more in this. I like working in that strategic side. So let's think bigger picture. What are all the things that we need to consider in issues management when you yep. have to get a position statement together, a media statement ready to roll? I might be guiding people in interview skills. Um, I, it can be it can be a whole range. So I might put a newsletter together. I might be the voice of a executive. Um, it might be, hey, there's a great story. We've got a really good message. Yeah, Let's get, get it, out, it out, there. out there. How do we do that in an integrated approach? So yeah. we no longer, well, I don't look for those one-hit wonders. Mm. And sometimes, you know, when the the sum of the whole is greater than the parts, like it's just, well, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. I have to get that <laughs> quote right. That's when the magic happens. Yep. 
you know, so you start going down a pathway and it, again, it's about connections and relationships and then something out of that even better than what you could have hoped to achieve. And I think what I've noticed too is this focus back to building relationships with your stakeholders and the community. And there's a lot of lip service paid from organisations to that, but the ones that do it and do it properly, that's where I think you get sustainable yep. outcomes. Mm. I wish I, um, I need to evolve my podcast to video because I, what I wanted people to see there was the body language <laughs> and the emotion. Um, you just <laughs> see that you know, we, we've heard about your career and what you've done, but then that last five minutes about what you're doing now was a totally different experience. <laughs> so um, you must love what you're doing. I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it. I like I like working with good clients. I get a bit picky these days. I think I've sort of... Um, what a nice place to be, though. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, it, it's a journey. And, and I can't uh, presume to think that how I would approach things or my understanding of things coming from 30-odd years' experience... Mm is where somebody's at. So, I, so I've so i had to learn <laughs> to go slow. I'm also a doer and I like to get things done. But yep. one of my big lessons is things take time. Mm. And there's something about time which, if used properly, can assist processes. Now, mm. that's not saying that you need to take advantage of time and move on it when you can, but more often than not, Take a deep breath. Mm. It doesn't have to be done. So I'm very, I'm, you know, when you're outcome driven too, and my personality, I've done some work around the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. So I'm a type three. So that's the achiever. And we, you know, we strive. We're known as workaholics. We'll yep. go the extra mile. Um, Which is kind of not really the time you want to get things done. So does that impact that well, personality? Um, yeah, so I've had to learn to measure that yeah. and, and have a healthy, healthy view on that. Yep. I mean, we're going all over the place yeah. here, but <laughs> it's, um, I just try, again, I, I like the position of service. I go into something with the mindset of what can I contribute and how can I help serve the task at hand. So whether that's getting words together so they make sense and are meaningful, because I read, I read a lot and I can tell good writing from not good writing. <laughs> and I think, you know, that there's... And things change too. I know style changes, but a good piece of writing yep. is just something to behold and that flows and it's smooth and the reader walks away and keeps thinking about it. Mm. <laughs> you know, because um, it's a craft. And it, I go back to my journalism days. I looked at that as a craft. I mm. was learning. Um, I wanted to mould it um, and have that expertise and experience. So, yeah. Sounds good. Interesting. Well, lovely journey of evolution <laughs> in your career. Before we finish, we have a time machine. So yep. if we could put you in the career conversations time machine, rewind the clock to 20-year-old Melinda. Given what you know today, what advice would you give her? Well, at the risk of being able to write a book, because <laughs> I know we don't have time for that. Look, I was thinking of some things. I think the, the one thing would be is to probably chill out a bit okay. and not take 
myself and the world so seriously. That's awesome advice. That will come if you're lucky. Mm. <laughs> but if I wanted to fast track what I think I've had to learn over time, that probably would have been... And, you know, there were probably people who said that to me along the way, but I think you're so focused so when you start out in your career. And I was, you know, outcome-driven and achievement-driven. So, and, uh, you know, uh, harder, bigger, harder, faster, all that kind of stuff. And yep. came from that from my days in high school too. So that was my modus operandi. So yep. I've had to learn to just calm down a mm -hmm. bit, just take time, being, you know, being present yep. and not so much always in the future but bring it back to what's happening now. And I would definitely say things will work out. Mm. It, they, always, they always do. If you believe in that bigger, all is happening as it should and we... I heard a great saying, you can't join the dots till you look back yep. at them. So you've actually got to walk through yeah, before okay. you can look back and join the dots. And it's all good. Yep. Even the rough times are good because you learn from those, right? That's where Absolutely. we grow in those times. Yep. But we want it all to be comfortable. And I think when you're young too, you want it to happen very quickly and it doesn't. We would get um, grad students in and they want to be a newsreader. You know, it took me nearly a decade before I even kind of found my feet. I was reading updates and news bulletins from an early stage, but until I kind of walked away and thought, that's my style, I'm comfortable with that, I can sit in that mm. and be confident, that took a while to get there. Mm. Mm. Very good. So, well, thank yeah. you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you being on our podcast. You're good welcome, luck. Craig. Excellent. Thanks, Melinda. Thank you. A very special thank you to our guest today, Melinda Smith. I uh, really enjoyed that uh, open conversation. If you'd like to learn more about Melinda, we'll have uh, her contacts via LinkedIn so you can check out her profile and learn a little bit about more about her career. Again, a very special thank you to Biz Synergy for their sponsorship today, in particular to Deb Mirish for making this introduction to Melinda. We really appreciate the connection and hope that everyone enjoyed this career conversation. If you love listening to our podcast, please uh, encourage you to go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and give us a great rating. And if you'd like to hear from a certain guest, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact me at craig at hrgroup.com.au. Until next time, I'm Craig McGregor, and thanks for listening.